Hi, hi. I'm Kristen Carr. Thank you so much for coming tonight. I'm so glad to have you. But I'm pretty excited because I feel like the Lord has given me something really specific to share with you guys tonight um, from His Word. So last spring, um, last spring, as I started having conversations with uh, the team here and being really interviewed for this position, um, had lots of conversations with lots of guys, lots of the male pastors, um, and Marcia and I were usually the only girls, you know, on the call. Um, and eventually we got to have just like a one-on-one phone conversation, um, which is really cool. She is, I know y'all know this, man. Wow. And I keep telling Jesus, this was your idea for me to step in after this stalwart of a woman, you know, led for these many, many years. I'm so thankful to be able to step in to the shoes that she has left. Um, But as we were talking, she began to share with me um, the passage that she felt like God had been laying on her heart for women's ministry in this new season. And it came from Isaiah 43. And I didn't tell her then because it just wasn't the time. Um, But we had a lot of conversation about it. And it was months later after we had done the interview process, after Jesus had made it very clear, this was what I was supposed to do. This is where I'm supposed to be, that we sat in her office. And I got to share with her that in 2016, so clearly I remember the Lord brought this uh, verse up, you know, just a hundred different times in a hundred different ways. God's funny with me. He does that. I think maybe because I'm stubborn or hard-headed. So he's like, one more time for the kids in the back. (laughs) And so I'm really making sure I'm getting it. But so much so that my very best friend uh, in Houston made a bracelet for me and had it engraved on the inside. I am doing a new thing. And so here I am, like wearing this bracelet while Marsha's telling me, I think this is the season that God is leading us into, that I am doing a new thing. And I, you know, uh, I, my personality doesn't love emotion, but tough noogies because I'm pregnant. So I cried and was like, oh, that's exactly right. <laughs> I feel like that's exactly where God has been taking me to. So tonight as we're considering where we're headed in the future and what this next year and the years to come are going to look like. Um, We're going to get all of our cues from Isaiah 43 and kind of camp out there. Um, So it's so interesting as I was studying to dig into this chapter, um, all the way back in college, I had, I took an Old Testament survey class and I can't believe I still had the textbook, but I did and it wasn't packed. I can't believe that either. Must have been from Jesus. (laughs) So I pulled it down and I was reading back through the chapter on Isaiah, and uh, it was really interesting because um, it brought back up to mind something that I had, I don't even remember ever learning this. I mean, I guess I learned it. It was college. So, Um, But when this was being written, uh, the very first world power was coming into authority, the Neo-Assyrian Empire. So that had never happened before. A singular world power had never risen up before. And so here are the Israelites, and they're being uh, taken captive and dispersed by this brand new world power. And I tend to be pretty optimistic, just naturally, like that's just my personality. But I think even I it would be terrified if I was living at that time, experiencing something like that that I'd never experienced before and thinking there is no way back out of this again. Um, there was like heavy political unrest going on in the day and the Israelites were were full in crisis mode, which funny enough is not too different from where we find ourselves on September 1st, 2020 in Marietta, Georgia. Political crisis is kind of crazy. We've got pandemic, which I don't know about y'all, but I have never walked through a pandemic before. This is the first time. So we're all kind of trying to navigate these new waters that we've never approached before. And as leaders, we're trying to ask the Lord, how do we lead through this? How do we lead as moms? How do we lead as wives? How do we lead as friends? How do we lead as coworkers? How do we function through a pandemic? I think that uh, Isaiah 43 has got some really good things to say to us 
about this. When I was studying, uh, when I pulled back out my Old Testament survey book, um, it was really interesting because it said that the Neo-Assyrian Empire used a, a, a ton of different tactics, but one of the main tactics that they used was called a deportation program. And the whole idea, I'm going to read it to you straight from the book. It's a quote straight from the book. It said, the deportation program was designed to destroy any sense of nationalism or political identity. The goal was assimilation of foreign peoples into a massive empire, ethnically and politically generic. For the Israelites, this was a theological issue. They were a people chosen and set apart by God and living in a land of promise and delivered to them by God. The Assyrian policy was a threat to the covenant distinctiveness of Israel. And as I read that, I thought, good grief, two things. Number one, the enemy is the least, like Satan is the least creative being that has ever existed, you know? Like ever. If it worked a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, he will do it again because he wants to get the same results. And secondarily, our God could not be more opposite of our enemy. He is incredibly creative. His character is always consistent, but his methods are fresh and new all the time. He doesn't need a formula. He doesn't need to make sure it's going to work. He is the I am that I am, the sovereign God. And so um, I think these two are really important for what we're getting ready to talk about tonight. And this is why. A couple years back, I worked for a nonprofit organization when we lived in Houston. I told you all, I've worn a lot of hats. <laughs> um, I used to say when I was in middle school to my dad, I want to go on an adventure. And I think Jesus was like, really? Okay. <laughs> I think there's been a couple times where I want to go back and be like, I'm just kidding. I don't want to go on an adventure anymore. <laughs> but, you know, you live and learn. So a few years back, I worked for a nonprofit organization called Not For Sale. It's based out of Half Moon Bay in um, California, right outside of San Francisco. And it is an organization that works to eradicate human trafficking. That's the whole point of its existence, to raise awareness and to work to stop human trafficking. And as I worked for them, part of my job in Texas was to travel and speak and talk about what human trafficking even was, what it looked like, why it was flourishing, all that kind of thing. And some Something really interesting that I learned about traffickers, um, those who would capture somebody and force them into their employee. Um, we always picture them as like, I don't know why we do this, but we do, as like, you know, smarmy kind of dudes in like a big fur coat, you know, with like a blingy necklace and a hat, you know. And the real truth of the matter is quite a few of the traffickers are women, which is kind of mind-blowing. Why in the world would a woman want to exploit really another woman? Because so much of the people who are trafficked are female. Most of them are are kids. But uh, the truth is that trafficking is extremely lucrative. It's more lucrative than uh, drug trafficking. Human trafficking is more lucrative than drug trafficking or weapons trafficking. So in other words, if you have no moral compass at all and you just really want to be your own boss and make a lot of money, trafficking is a fantastic option for you. And there's a lot of people out there who have no, no moral compass. And so they participate in trafficking. One of the main ways that they get these girls to come along or these children to come along, um, they kidnap them. They drug them. They, if they're American, they take their social security number and they open up dirty businesses with it. They literally ruin their credit. They aim to, to kidnap them before they finish school. So these are kids that don't have an education. And they deport them to another country, another place where they don't know anybody, where they don't speak the language, where they don't understand the culture. And that's how they keep these people held in captivity. How interesting that the Neo-Assyrian Empire thousands of years ago employed this exact same tactic in capturing and deporting God's people. His intention was to remove their identity, to keep them from having connection with one another, and to uh, to convince them that they had no, no hope and no future and no resources for survival. This is always terrible, but even 
more so for the Israelites. They weren't, it's not like, it's not like now. They had no point of reference for this. This was a brand new occurrence that they were walking through, being deported, being separated, being pushed aside. And they were the covenant people of God. They didn't have any like point of reference, like, well, the last time this happened, this happened, and so we've got some hope, which reminds me a little bit of us walking through this pandemic. Although we can, there are points of history we can look back and see where other people survived the pandemic. Did y'all see that marketing uh, ad, the Facebook ad? I loved. They pulled some of the, the women who walked through the pandemic in the 20s from the flu and survived it, and they the women spoke as if it was now, and then it, they sort of flipped it at the end and said, and I, like when they showed their face, you could tell they had been alive for a long time. They said, I walked through the pandemic back in the 20s. And basically, you can too, which I'm sure that the Israelites would have loved to have had that Facebook market marketing tactic, just somebody to come alongside of them and say, it's okay, you can do this. They didn't have that. But what they did have was a God who was fiercely in love with them fiercely, intensely passionate about reclaiming them as sons and daughters of the Most High God. I love in in Isaiah 43, he comes out swinging. I mean, it sort of reminds me of like, I don't know if you saw the movie Taken with Liam Nielsen, you know, like his daughter gets taken and Liam's like, I'm not on my watch, you know, and he like swoops in. That is the, the, the demeanor and, and the, the, the tenor of God as he's speaking into this, if you hear and listen to his voice. Isaiah 43, 1 through 13 is where we're going to start. If you want to grab your little, there's a little uh, packet in there you can pull out. We'll walk through these notes. And we're just going to jump in right there at the top where it says, but now. And I put it all there so that you can just follow straight along. And also, because I don't know about you guys, but I love to like write and doodle and put extra things as Jesus is speaking. So feel free to do that so you can take it home with you. So this is what it says, Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. I just want to pause for just one second and remember who God is talking to. These are people who have been deported. These are people who are oppressed. These are people who are under political strain. These are people who have been separated from all of their connections, from any identity or any hope of rescue or um, intervention or anything. And here comes God and he's saying, you are mine, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. Verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. This is just a quick reminder of Jehovah God saying to his people, remember, remember that time when your ancestors stood before the Red Sea and they thought there was no hope of crossing? Remember, I split it. That's who I am. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned and the flames will not set you ablaze. I love that because that's prophetic. It had not happened yet, but it speaks specifically to Meshach and Abednego, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who literally walked through the flames. And watch this progression here. I don't want to miss this because it is through the entire chapter and it hinges everything that I feel like God is saying to us tonight and moving forward. Verse 3, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God is. So if you see, there's like an underline right there. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And there's a box right underneath it. If you'll just write, God is right there. Here's the logical progression. God is. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Sebia in your stead. And verse 4, since you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you, there's another little underline there and another little box right in that box. We are. So you can start to see this progression. God is. We are. God is holy. He is the Lord. He is Savior. We are precious and honored and loved. And then right after that, two little words, I will. 
And watch how many times he says this. I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. God will is what goes in that little box. So here's the progression. God is, we are, God will. And look, he reminds the people, the Israelites, exactly who they are. These are all the things that God's going to do. Reclaim, restore, redeem, acting on behalf of his people in order to remind them of who they are. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Verse 7, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And so right there, we are created for God's glory, formed by the hand of God, so that we will. And I love this next part, because it's not that the the children of Israel were ready to do this. It's not like they were ready and rallied and pumped and like, now we are going to. They're still in captivity. This is God speaking into in the middle of an impossible situation. And God is literally speaking over them, not just who they are, but who he has created them to be and who he is going to make them into. He's saying, you will, not now, but you will. So we will lead out, verse eight, lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove that they were right so that others may hear it and say it is true. I love that. Here's a people who are held captive, who are discounted, who have no identity, who have no hope for rescue or intervention. And here comes God saying, I am your savior, your redeemer, and you are my sons and my daughters. And I will work on behalf to to rescue you, to save you, to pull you back out. And then I will call you and empower you forward so that you're the one leading out those who have ears but are deaf and who have eyes but are blind. Whoo! What a word in the middle of captivity, you know, when everything seems awful. Here comes God, and this is what he's saying. We will. Verse 10, you are my witnesses, declares Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know. Oops. And believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I love this because I think it's so important. God himself is showing us how much he values that his people know who he is and who we are. He says, you are my witnesses and my servants so that you will know and believe me and understand that I am he. He is concerned that we understand his character, who he is and who he has made us to be. So we're flipping now. Oh, wait, nope, I got one more thing to read. Verse 11, I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from them there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I, and not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. In verse 13, yes, and from ancient days I am He. I love that. There has never been a time that I have not been. I am that I am. From ancient days I am He. No one can deliver Liver out of my hand when I act, who can reverse it? God is. So, on that very first, uh, your next page there, you got a little blank to write, God is. And right underneath it, you'll see the words, for his people. I think this is one of the most important things for us. Listen, as as Christ followers, for me as a pastor's kid, to really understand that that God is not some distant dictator bossing and saying a hundred different things for me to do in order to earn his affection or his attention. And he could, because he's God. So we don't get to do that. He totally gets to do that. 
And yet, it's his kindness that brings us to repentance. And what he is passionate about us knowing is that he is for us. He is on our side. He is worthy. He is, I am that I am the holy, uncreated one, the one whose character never shifts or changes. And yet he is for us for his people, his creation, his handiwork, his beloved, the ones he formed and fashioned to be sons and daughters, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And so, number two, we are. Because God is, you'll see right under, so right in there, we are, and you'll see right underneath that, because God is, we are. We are dearly loved We are seen, we are treasured, we're valued, we're sought after and created on purpose. Why does this matter for us tonight? I mean, most of us have grown up in church, most of us. Most of us are like, yes, this is true, I agree. (laughs) Why does this matter? Well, because if the enemy can convince us that God is not who he says he is, then it is a quick second before he unravels who God has created us to be. And listen, and I wrote this in here because I want you to take it home with you. Watch. So why does this matter for us tonight? Because our enemy Satan hates that we are precious and dearly loved. His intention, the enemy's intention, he is not creative. The same thing he did with the Neo-Assyrians is the same thing he does now with traffickers and the same thing he does with us. His intention is to exploit us. He wants to remove all awareness and claim of the position that we have in Christ Jesus. He wants us in this place here tonight to be key participants in his deportation program. He wants to mess with our sense of identity, our sense of security, our sense of purpose, and our sense of oneness and belonging in the family of God. Because you know what a disabled army who is weary, wounded, purposeless, insecure, and out of place is good for? Not one thing. He's not very creative. He's going to use the old tactics. And let me tell you, a pandemic is a great start. Drop us all into a spot that we've never been before and ask us to address it with any sort of confidence. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing in a pandemic. I don't know how to lead my kids through this. Do I let them go to school? Do I school them at home? Which is the more correct answer? There's so many things that are pressing in, so many rights and so many wrongs and so many things vying for our attention and our affection. And it's so easy for us to become convinced that because we feel in over our head that God is as well. And maybe God isn't altogether in control of all of this. And maybe he isn't all that he said he is. And maybe I am not all that he promises. And if the enemy can get us to truly believe that, then we are a mess of wilted, mamby-pamby flowers, not the army of God that God is calling us to be in the center of a pandemic because we know that God is good and he does not change just because our circumstances does do. In contrast, do you know what an army of people who are well-loved, seen, known, purposeful, intentional, united, standing shoulder to shoulder is good for? Victory. We can stand victorious not because the battle is easy or because it's won overnight. We can stand victorious because, and ladies, I'm asking the Lord that this would become our confession, that he would write it into the marrow of our bones because God is, so we are. And moreover, because God will, so we will. God is, and we are, and God will, so we will. If Satan can convince us that God isn't who he says, it simultaneously unravels and undermines the reality of who we are. And that's why God came out swinging. And if you really want to hear all of it, go back home tonight and start in Isaiah 40 because there is a shift in tone from the prophet in 39. And when you start in 40, you can hear it and you can see it. And listen for the way that God declares in loudest voice time and again exactly who he is, who his people are, and what he will do and what we will do as God moves in us and then through us.
So this, I think this next part, Isaiah 43, 14 through 19, we're going to walk through this and then we're going to wrap this up. I think that we've got to camp out here because I think that this is what Marsha sensed in her spirit was what God was saying to us. And I know that it's what God has put into my spirit. And I am praying that the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of each one of you sitting here tonight will stir it up in you and speak it to you in a way that my tired, pregnant, sweaty mind cannot begin to fathom (laughs) so that you can receive it and hear what he has to say. Because if we're going to lead the women of Marietta, Georgia, the women of East Cobb, the women of North Atlanta, the women on our circle of influence forward, our families forward through an insane pandemic. We have got to be sure of who God is and who we are and what he is already doing on our behalf and what he is asking us to do in response. So that's what I'm asking that he'll say as we get into this. Um, that he'll speak a new culture and a new creed as we hop into this. Isaiah 43, 14 through 19. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. So if you'll just take your pen and circle your Redeemer, just put like a bunch of little circles around it. I love that. So in my Old Testament survey book, it also had a comment saying that God identifying as Redeemer, not just that he redeems, but as his very character, is mentioned more times in Isaiah than it is in the entire Bible. So this is a massive theme of Isaiah, that God not only redeems, but that he is a redeemer. God is, God is my redeemer. So you can write over there on the side, I wrote over there on the side of my notes, God is dot dot my redeemer, the holy one. He embodies redemption. Uh, Verse 14 continued, for your sake, and I just circled your sake, I just put a big old circle around that. Because he's saying the reason for, the reason for your sake, your, me, ours, I, we can make this real personal. God is, I am. I wrote over to the side. I am because of what we just read. I am dearly loved. I'm seen. I'm treasured. I'm valued. I'm sought after. So for my sake, God promises, God will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives, not fugitives, that's not a word, fugitives, all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. Verse 15, I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your King. I love how personal God is. He is the uncreated one. He is the I am that I am who existed before the foundations of the earth. And here he is saying, you're, he's literally allowing us to belong to him and for him to belong to us. That is mind blowing to me. My King, my Holy One. This is what the Lord says in verse 16. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. So I notice this in scripture a lot, and I love this. In verse 16, it says, this is what the Lord says. And then it does not say what he says for like a while, you know? It's almost like there's parentheses after that, you know? Kind of like when you're being introduced as a speaker or like when you're introducing someone, you're like, this is my friend and she's really cool and I really like her and she has cute shirts and she's a good bargain shopper, you know? It's like this resume that's listed. And that's exactly what Isaiah does here as he's speaking as a mouthpiece of God. This is what the Lord says. And in case you're wondering who's speaking, who this Lord is, it's the one who made a way through the sea. Remember that time when your ancestors, the Israelites, stood in front of the Red Sea and you were also held captive by a a terrible people who did not want to let you go and you finally were let go from slavery and here you are at the precipice of freedom and there's no place to go and you feel like the best scenario here is I'm either going to drown or I'm going back to captivity. And then God shows up and the Red Sea is parted and you pass through on dry land and then the Egyptian army comes behind you and snuffs out like a wick because God allows the, the water walls to crash down on them and they stop existing like they never existed in the first place. That is the God that is speaking. It's this God. 
who is speaking to those Israelites. And ladies, I think that it's this God, and know that it's this God, who's speaking these words to us right here tonight in 2020 about what he is up to in this next year and in the years to come. Verse 18, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing, and now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Now, I'll be honest, when I first read this, I thought, that is a very odd way for God to open that up. He literally just gets done giving a resume. Remember that time that I split the Red Sea and that I, you know, extinguished the Egyptians? And then very next verse, he says, forget all that. Forget the former things. I'm getting ready to do a new thing. So what in the world? Why in the world would he do that? Well, I think, I think it was for two specific reasons, and I think that they're important for us tonight. So I want to sit with it for just a minute. First, remember at the very beginning of our time, we talked about how the enemy is not creative at all. If it worked in the past, he's going to do it again in the future. Our God, on the other hand, is extremely creative. He doesn't need a formula in order to accomplish his purposes. God's character is unchanging, but his methods are fresh and new, like the morning sun. What God needed his people to remember and what he needs us to remember today and to stand firm in the center of is this, the unchanging nature of his character. Who God is does not change. He needs us to stand in the middle of his character. God's character is not defined by his actions, but his actions are informed by his character. Meaning, it's good to be reminded of God's actions on behalf of his people because it's a reminder of the character of God. This is why God uses this intro in verse 16, because it reminds us of who he is and what he does. It is a danger to take the actions. Oh, please don't miss this tonight. It took me forever to get this through my little brain. It is a danger to take the actions of God as a formula for what he will do in the future. If we think that we can figure out how to navigate the blessings of God or the intervention of God or the movement of God, then he sort of turns into this, I don't know, cosmic genie or something. And we're like algebra specialists because we're like, well, I remember last time. And if I can get A plus B to equal C, then God will intervene in the following ways. That is not who God is. That is not how he works. I mean, we can't point to two Daniel in the lion's den. There wasn't like Fred in the lion's den also. There was not two floods. There was not two David and Goliaths. He is extremely creative in the way that he intervenes in our circumstances. And the reason he is, is because he can be because he is God. And when he is, when he swoops in at the last minute, when everything seems hopeless, like it's going to pot and does something that nobody would have ever thought to do, it awakens something in us that we have been created to experience, which is awe and wonder and worship of God. So he needs us to be sure of his character, but he does not need us to be sure that we can figure out a formula in order to make him do what we want him to do. So we've got to forget the former things and not dwell on the past. God is not a formula to be figured out. And secondarily, I think that he says to forget the past because we we, as human people, when we go through a really tough season and we're really tired, we're really exhausted, we begin to think how God is going to intervene in this circumstance. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, I'm like, he can't. I'm tired. <laughs> for some reason, I start to limit his ability to my emotion, to my feeling, to my capability, and sometimes even to just my experience of what he has or has not done in the past. So if I walked through something a few months ago that he didn't intervene the way I wanted him to intervene in, and here I am standing at another issue or crisis, and I'm asking for him to intervene, my tendency, if I dwell on the past, is to say he's not going to do it. He's not good. He's not faithful. And maybe he just can't. 
And I think when God is speaking to the children of Israel and speaking to us tonight and saying, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. He is saying, don't belittle me into a formula and don't think that what I did in the past is going to be a a description of what I'm capable of doing in the future. He is ready and willing to do brand new things. So what's God asking us to do here and now through these verses? This is the last page. We're almost done. Number one, I think he's asking us to put our hands down. So the fill in there is just hands down. Now, I'm a child of the 90s. Well, that's when I went to high school. And uh, I don't know if you remember this or not, um, but remember like the, the, hand, like the hand in the air, right? Like, as if. <laughs> I remember people saying this. Um, this is what I, that always like, makes me think of immediately. But the truth is, when we have a posture of putting our hands out and pushing people away, of keeping people at a distance so that we keep a good appearance or so that we can seem like we're in control or so that we can seem like we have it together, when we're pushing this is going on, this is a posture of self-sufficiency and a posture of defense. And what God is saying is, do not dwell on the past. Do not expect that you are going to be able to navigate this future. Do not put those hands up and think that you can figure out a way. Do not push me or others away. Get your hands down. And the posture here is surrender. Because God's not limited to our formula. He sees and he hears and he knows. And he's ready to redeem And what we have walked through in the past doesn't limit where God intends to take us in the future. But if we're in the driver's seat, it does because we're the best thing we got going on and this is all we got and everybody stay at arm's distance. I think what he's inviting us to is to get our hands down. And then secondarily, to forget the former things and not dwell on the past. And then secondarily, allow our heads to be lifted up. So just heads up. Verse 19, see I am doing a new thing. God's saying, see, look, 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 look to me. Put your hands down. Don't worry about what you can and cannot do. Don't worry about what I've done in the past. Don't worry about how you've experienced me or not experienced me or the wounds or the things that are happening. Just get surrendered, get your hands down and allow me to lean in and lift your head so that you can see me eyeball to eyeball and see and know me for who I am so that I can speak over you who you are, seen and known and loved and cared about and created with a purpose, on purpose. So the posture here is seen. Sometimes we just need to know that he sees us, that he knows, that we're not forsaken, that we're not forgotten, that just because everything around us seems to be going crazy does not change the fact that he is ever. uh, He is never changing. He is constantly the same and that he sees us and he knows and he is at the ready to move and to work on our behalf. God is and God will do a new thing. See, I'm doing a new thing. He is inviting us to look at him, to see him for who he is, so he can speak over us who we are, and so he can invite us to see as he sees in the future. See, see, see with my eyes. I am doing a new thing. I know it looks like a mess. I know it looks like a hot mess. I know it looks like a pandemic that nobody can make any sense of, and nobody knows what up or down or right or backwards or forwards is, and nothing is normal and everything is on its head, but hey... I'm doing a new thing and I'm in control and I am God and I am that I am and I see you and I know you and I've created you for such a time as this and I am Redeemer God and my intention is to redeem this but not just this situation. My intention is to redeem you. His intention is to redeem us from the inside. So much of the time, he's not going to offer intervention in our circumstance because he's far more concerned about changing our hearts so that then he can use us to speak hope and light and truth into the circumstance. 
So he says, see, I'm doing anything. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I love it because now it springs up also translates, even now it's coming. And they're both perfectly accurate translations. And I think they're both important. Now it springs up, even now it's coming. I love the now it springs up part because uh, it reminds me of like a plant, right? That is popping out of the dirt. There's something that happens in surrender that allows our hearts, the hardened parts of our heart, the hardened, the wounded parts of us, when we surrender and we stop trying to make it work and we stop trying to make a way and make a plan and make it make sense and we just get our hands down, it's like the the, the hardness of our heart, the parts that that are tough suddenly soften and fall open and the spirit of the living God is able to plant something new inside those broken places. And he's literally able to redeem and restore what was broken and what was messy and what we thought was good for nothing. His intention as we get our hands down and we recognize as our heads are up that we are seen is to heal our hearts by placing his spirit into the broken pieces and healing it, restoring it, making it whole and commissioning it forward. See, watch what he says in verse 19. I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Think about these statements. He is making a way in a dense jungle and he is causing water to fall out of a parched place. This promise to the Israelites and to us did not just apply to their circumstance, although he was getting ready to intervene in their circumstance. It applied moreover to to them, to their hearts. He was saying, I am getting ready to do in you what has never been done. I'm getting ready to take the broken pieces, the dry pieces, the parched pieces, the tangled mess that you've got going on in your heart or in your mind, and I am ready to clarify it. I'm ready to heal it. I'm ready to bring and breathe new life back into it so that it can spring up into a fresh thing. And it's coming. Do you not perceive it? He is wanting to make our hearts whole. So hands down, heads up, hearts whole. And the posture here is redeemed and restored. So why do all of this? What's the purpose? And you know, I didn't include this, and I'm sorry I didn't, but you can go home and and read it in your Bible tonight. But Isaiah 43, verses uh, 20 and 21, I love it because it's such a perfect wrap for this. What it says there is, I, this is God speaking, I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I have formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. His intention is for us to get our hands down and our heads up and for him to heal our hearts and make us whole and then to position our feet forward that we may be bearers of hope and promise and restoration in the middle of a city, in the middle of an era, in the middle of a season where literally everyone around us is saying there is no hope, there is no promise, we cannot make it through, we're all drowning, we're never going to leave our four walls, or I always have to leave my four walls. We all have different stories when it comes to that, but we all feel like there's no way to get on the other side of it. And I believe, ladies, that God, the Spirit of God is saying, hey, I want to do a new thing in your time. I want to do a new thing right now. I want to do a new thing in Marietta, but I have to do it in you first, which means we have got to ask before the Lord if we're willing to get our arms down and surrender. Surrender is painful. It's uncomfortable. It puts us in a position, in a posture that feels a lot like defeat that says, I don't have it together. I don't have all the answers. I can't make a plan. I don't know what's next. And you know what? Oh, hello. Yes. Yes, Jesus. (laughs) Oh, man. So, yeah, we got to get our hands out. And it's painful. It's not comfortable. Surrender. I don't know about 
about y'all. Maybe I'm just extra bossy, but surrender is not fun. It is not comfortable. It's not easy to say. Um, no, yes, for sure. You do, you do it. And I will, I will wait. I will wait on you to do the thing. And I will be sure that I cannot do the thing. And I don't know how you're going to do the thing, but I will wait on you to do the thing. That's hard. It's hard because it means stepping into this next semester, not expecting to be the Bible study leader you were last year. It means not expecting to be the mentor that you were last year. It means not expecting to be the committee member that you were last year. It means expecting that God is getting ready to do something in you and around you and through you that you have never experienced before. It requires surrender. And then we got to get our heads up and look to him, be reminded that we are seen and we are known. And as he does that, and as he implants his spirit and he heals those parts that are hardened and, and brings to life new things, it allows us the privilege that we may walk with our feet forward in a posture of sacrifice and service. Feet forward sacrifice and service. I love Isaiah 52, just a couple chapters down. Verse seven, it says this, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, if we are going to be who God wants us to be as we step forward through this pandemic, we have got to be so sure that God is who he says, regardless of circumstance, regardless of feeling, regardless of emotion, regardless of how crazy our political atmosphere gets and everything around us gets turned up on its head. We have to be sure God is who he says and that we are seen and we are known and we are valued and we are treasured. We are not forsaken. We are not forgotten. And that even in the center of all of this mess, he, his intention is to use this surrender and this brokenness to plant new, fresh movements of his spirit that we have never seen or known or experienced before so that it can swell up in us. And you and me and we together can link arms, not as wilted flowers, completely unsure of what's coming, but as ones who know, who does know what's coming and ones who have experienced the healing and the wholeness and the commissioning of God who can put our feet forward and with great joy, say, it is my privilege to serve. It is my privilege to sacrifice that we may be the bearers, the mouthpiece of God's praise in the center of a community and a culture in crisis that is convinced that this is it and there is nothing better. I believe that's what God wants to do in us and through us over this next year and over the years to come. I believe he wants to write this culture and creed over us. And I think he made it really easy because he's a lot less complicated than we make him sometimes. <laughs> I think we like to over-spiritualize a little bit. And he is everything. He is I am that I am. And he is every part of the complication. But gosh, he's so kind and he's so simple. And ladies, I think if he can speak this over us in such a powerful way that we get our hands down and we allow the lifter of our heads to lift our heads up, we will know God is so I don't have to be. And I am seen. And he will heal my heart. He will refine and sanctify the sin that's in me. He knows. I don't know. He knows. He will do it. And his intention is to do it. And his intention is to do it in such a way that is healing and our hearts can be whole. And then he invites us that we may, that we will position our feet forward and say, yes, whatever you ask, whatever this next year and these years to come look like, my answer is yes, I'm in. Do a new thing in me here in this place. Would you guys pray with me? And I'd like to ask that you just kind of make, I know it's hot and sweaty, but just make your, make your spot, just a, an altar for just a second. Just you and Jesus. Just you and the Holy Spirit. And would you ask him, God, what do you, what do you want for me? What does this look like for me? Only he knows. I don't know. 
Your neighbor doesn't know. Only he knows. Is God asking you to surrender? Is he asking you to get your hands down? Would you do it? Or maybe you've already surrendered. Maybe you don't think you've got it together at all. And you're just weary and you're worn and you're tired. And you just need to be reminded tonight that the lifter of your head sees you. That he loves you. And that he has a plan and a purpose and he wants to redeem even this, even now. Maybe there's some parts of your heart that have been broken for a while. And maybe you need the Holy Spirit to plant new, fresh healing. The Redeemer to do what he does and redeem what is broken. Would you ask him to do it tonight to make your heart whole? And maybe for you, that's not you at all. And you know that God is good and you know that you're seen. And maybe you've had some brokenness, but God has walked you through that. And he's healed and he's redeemed and he's restored. Maybe he's asking you to position your feet forward, whatever that looks like, in sacrifice and in service. Would you just tell him that your yes is his no matter what he asks you to do? Even if it's crazy, even if it's totally outside the box, even if it's something that you've never done before, would you just say yes to him tonight? Jesus, we're just really thankful to be your daughters. We're thankful that you love us so much. We're thankful that you died so that we could have life, so that we could have relationship with you. We're so grateful to be seen and known and cared about and fought for by the I am that I am, the ancient of days, the Alpha and Omega, the one who always finishes what he starts. Thank you. Jesus, we just hold our hands open to you tonight and we say, whatever you want, our answer is yes. Our yes is in you because we know that you are who you say and that you will do what you promise and that it will be good. It will be for our good and will be for your glory that we may be mouthpieces and bearers of the hope of the gospel of Jesus that we know and we believe that is an anchor for our soul that goes behind the curtain straight into the holy of holies. And no matter how much our circumstances or waves toss us back and forth. We know that we can stand firm on the rock of ages that is never moving, never shifting and get our eyes on you and trust that you are going to do something new through it to your glory, for your honor, to awaken awe and wonder in us as we follow you into 2020, the rest of 2020 and 2021 and whatever you have for us. God, may our confession be that God is and God will, so I am and I will, that we may have the privilege of moving forward in obedience to you. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.